This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2? And while you're doing that, I want to show you a little uh, intro. Ten years ago, when we started, we never thought we would end up where we are right now. The, the people of Conduit Church rise to the occasion. The Conduit family doesn't cower back, but they move forward like when there's a crisis, like we're at our best. A relevant church may not be essential, but an essential church will always be relevant. Essential to me means that if you are a church and you are not here next week, that people's lives are literally on the line. Saving drug addicts and saving people from mental health issues, then you become an essential service for it. And for Conduit Church, that is 100% true. Does your church need to have a mission or did Jesus's mission need to have a church? That's where we're going for the next seven weeks. You know, there was um, a poll that was released in 2020, December 2020. It was by Gallup, but it confirmed what everybody already knew, which was that the, the mental health crisis in America that was already bad, that fuel had been fired, they just poured onto this fire. The, the lockdowns, the isolation, the epidemiologists who might know something about virus, but they know nothing about the human condition, sent people into their homes and isolated and then sent them into places where they couldn't be with each other. Addictions, alcoholism, relapses, divorce, all of it. And we all knew that because we all know somebody or are somebody that was experiencing it. But Gallup went to the trouble of researching it and figured out that sure enough, across the board in our country, the quality of emotional and mental health in our nation went down significantly. It went down in every category except one. There was one category that not only reported not a decrease in their emotional and mental health, they reported an increase in their emotional and mental health. And that category were those who reported weekly church attendance. When we reopened in June, it was not without risk. But the risk of not reopening was immensely and infinitely more dangerous than remaining closed. You see, we were told as a church, that your service is not essential. You, you can reopen in our country if you are an essential service. Hospitals reopened, yes. Grocery stores, yes, reopened. Liquor stores reopened. And some of y'all are under your breath going, yes. But when we realized that as church leadership, we had to ask ourselves the question, are we going to let the government tell us what is and is not an essential service that God has said is essential? 
not on my watch. Now, we had to look at this and then ask ourselves what could have been a very, very uncomfortable question, which is, are we actually an essential service? Look, I, I spent a good part of my adult life working in and around what we would call now relevant churches, okay? Uh, relevant church meant that we had really great sound and lights and a fog machine and some of the stuff you see right here because it made us more relevant. And by the way, I have no stones to cast the, at that. Like the message certainly never changes. It ought to not change, but sometimes the methods do. But here's something that 2020 taught us. A relevant church might not be essential, but an essential church will always be relevant. Us being essential is not about our religious rights, okay? That is a very reasonable and very important conversation for us to have, but that is not the conversation we're going to have in the next seven weeks. You see, I'm not here to try to convince the government that we are an essential service. I literally don't care. I'm here to convince you. Because if you notice that category, those who reported every other week, once a month, their mental health did not go up, but it went down. There is something in the gathering of God's people that is not only fulfilling a command of Scripture, but it's for our good. It's for our flourishing, as is all of God's commands. And so as we embark on these next few weeks, my hope is that I can convince you. I mean, I'm, look, if there's anything I've learned about the Conduit family, y'all are a bunch of scrappy fighters, get the pitchforks and torches and march on the Capitol. Like, I know who you are. But do not let life do what you would not let the government do, which is take you away from the gathering of God's people. I'm proud of you for saying we're going to rise up and help and stand up for our pastors in Canada and our pastors in California and locking arms for the rights that they have to gather. But I promise you in a year from now, we're going to forget this and travel soccer is going to kick in. The lake house is going to call the beach. And by the way, you can't make this religion. This is not about to be there every time the doors are open. This is about looking at what am I, what the word is here, what am I devoted to? And sometimes in my life, I look at it, I was devoted to this, right? But I, I wasn't devoted to the gathering of God's people. And I know this, I've seen it over and over. The time that you want to be building your community is not in the middle of your crisis. That happens in many of our lives. Crisis hits and I am suddenly disconnected from a church family and now I gotta find my way back in. But let me tell you, if you're in the middle of a crisis, there is no better place to have that in the middle of a faith community of people who are locking arms with you, standing beside you, literally locking arms in the trenches with you. But that kind of community comes from Acts 2.42. And if you've got your Bibles, we're literally just going to set this up for the next few weeks. 
but I wanted to read to you what a essential church looked like 2,000 years ago and to tell you that that essential church looks exactly like that today. There were no smoke, there was no lights, there was no LED screen. And if y'all were back at the first time we ever gathered at Conduit Church, we had no smoke. Well, we did, because we were, it was a kitchen uh, of a, the, if they burned the goulash at the high school on Friday, there was so little bit of that smell on Sunday in the cafeteria, but, but we had nothing. But we had the Holy Spirit. And when we came together there, I'm saying that because you're, I, I want to say there's nothing wrong with what you see behind me, but this is not the Holy Spirit. If this goes away tomorrow, the Holy Spirit is still here. So listen in Acts 2, verse 42 through verse 47. They devoted themselves. This early church, they had just come to Jesus. 5,000 people had believed. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those daily who were being saved. That's God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we encounter your word in just these few minutes that we have, I pray that you will make your word alive, you'll make it a lamp, that you will reveal, expose, correct, teach, admonish, encourage everything that you promised. This is not an academic exercise, Lord. This is a Holy Spirit encounter with your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that even in my own heart that it becomes alive here today. In Jesus' name, amen. This was a church of young believers in a culture where there was no safety net. We had a blessing that happened in our, well, blessing, depending on if you believe $30 trillion worth of debt is a blessing, but we had, in our country, when they shut it down last year, we had trillions of dollars being written in checks to people all over the country. In Asia, in Uganda, in Haiti, nobody got checks. They were locked in their homes and wished you luck. There's no refrigerator. There's no ability to get food. They looked far more like this church than we do. That doesn't make us bad, by the way. This is, God has blessed us here. And we've been able to do something about that. Because I promise you, had we have not reopened in June, 120 families would still be in slavery. Hundreds of thousands of people in East Africa and West Africa and Asia and Haiti and on and on would have not eaten and many would have died of starvation had we have not gathered. Our church gathering was essential. If we go away tomorrow, people die quite literally. If this church went away, people died quite literally. There was no safety net. To follow Jesus and to come together here, they were isolated, they were cut off from their families, they were marginalized, and the big waves of persecution from Nero had not come yet, but it had already started. It always starts somewhere. 
And so what they did was come together in this group and they began to devote themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It's the word koinonia, which we'll cover in a couple of weeks. It means way more than just a small group in your living room, but it doesn't mean less. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Different opinions on that. Most likely, it simply meant the Jewish idiom for communion, for breaking bread. It's the gospel. And they were devoted to prayer. And as a result, verses 43, 44, 45, 46, and 47 happened. As a church, one of our greatest dangers will be to devote ourselves to 43, 44, 45, 46, and 47 without being devoted to verse 42. Because if you're devoted to verse 42, 43 through 47, it just happens. I've been in the process, I don't know if you can tell, but I am a full-figured man. Look, and I, and by, and by the way, like I was doing really good, like Nepal last year in the Himalayas. I was actually feeling, I, mean, I might actually make it into my 50s and, you know, not look like I'm having an allergic reaction to medication. But I, I, but then the pandemic hit and I thought I'm doing really good, but apparently I've been eating my feelings for like the last year. So I, but I started paying attention again to my eating, what was going into me. And I was having a conversation with my good friend TJ, and he shows me this little app called The Avatar, not the cartoon, and he showed me that it's about your macros. Do you know, you fit people know what I'm talking about, okay? This is kind of brand new information to me, right? Like I had discovered plutonium or something. What, macros? What? But it's like, if you pay attention to these three or four things, the rest of it takes care of itself. And so I started looking at my macros, and realizing, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> a personal trainer that Shannon and I worked with a long time ago, he told me, Darren, you cannot exercise yourself out of a bad diet. <laughs> kind of made me mad. Because here's the thing. I don't eat because I'm hungry. I eat because it tastes good. That's different. I don't eat, I'm not done eating when I'm full. I'm done when it doesn't taste good anymore. <laughs> or, or what was that comedian? He said, I'm not done until I hate myself. <laughs> That's when I know I'm done. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but it might be. Start paying attention to the macros and the rest of it takes care of itself. If I start trying to focus on exercise and running and lifting and all that, but I'm not paying attention to the macros, it's not going to do any good. If I start paying attention to the signs and the wonders and I'm not focused on the macros, it's not going to do any good. If I'm trying to, listen, feed the poor, help the, the poor and the marginalized, the Bible tells you, you do that, 1 Corinthians 13, but you don't have love, you got nothing. I'll tell you what you've got is socialism. Social justice without Jesus, you get a free sandwich, but you get no hope. 
We don't do social justice around here. We bring Jesus. And the good thing about Jesus, Jesus' people who are focused on these four things will go into a village and say, yeah, they're great. They're born again, but their water is not born again. So what do we do about that? We go here and like, they're born again, but that food, that ain't born again. We got to do something about that. that. That's what the Bible commands us to do. But it commands us by starting with being devoted to those four things. And in the next seven weeks, I want to show you what those four things are, how we can be devoted to them. But I want to start by saying one thing, and that is just what the heck does the word devoted mean? Because devoted does not mean disciplined, okay? Discipline means I'm trying to cross some stuff off of my list, and then it's done, and then that's actually, that's called religion, one of our elders is a guy named Mark Bourgeois, and he, before he became uh, who he is today, he was in, the, uh, in a very fundamentalist, very religious background. And I was, I'd ask him, like, man, I'm so confused how you got drawn into that. And he didn't even wince. He said, oh, that's easy, because it was a list. And I knew exactly how I was doing because I was just checking off my list. But he said, at one point, I realized there was no life in the list. And I came to the point where I went where the life was. Devotion is not a language, it's not a word that means discipline, it is a word that means devotion. The etymology of it means, it's actually like even your identity, it's a relationship word. I am Shannon's wife. No, I am, (laughs) that is the wrong church. I am Shannon's husband. I am devoted to Shannon. I am, because that is devotion. Now, are there things that I do and do not do because I am devoted to her? Yes. Do I have a list that I wake up and check off every morning and hand in every night like I'm tested for it? I got to get the test right. No, because that's not devotion, that's discipline. Devoted. This word, devoted. is the hinge that the door of this message swings on. And for you to understand that being devoted to something, it does mean that I'm gonna be in the word, it does mean I'm gonna, because you have a hundred million things right now in your life that you could be devoted to, okay? You wake up every morning with a thousand options and you've gotta decide what am I gonna be devoted to? What do I, who do I, what do I love, and what will I devote myself to? Because if you don't make that decision, somebody's going to make it for you. And I'm not going to ask you to do it today, because this is not a shame thing. The gospel is not shame on you, it's shame off you. But I'm going to challenge you to do something. Because the, the same app, the same phone that I used to figure out that I was sucking wind on my food consumption, has another little feature. There's a saying that says that attention is the beginning of devotion. Whatever you are paying attention to is what you will become devoted to. 
What are you paying attention to? Because your devotion will follow that. And on the same phone that can give me the macros of my carbs and my protein and my fiber also gives me the same macros of the hours and the minutes of my day. So maybe do this by yourself when you, I mean, you might have to muster the courage. But at least admit the truth about yourself. This is where it is. And then begin to say, okay, I, I am devoted to this and I am devoted to that. And I have to make a decision of what I'm going to be devoted to. How can I begin to switch the macros here? And as the days and the weeks ahead go, we're gonna talk about what it means to be devoted. Next week, we're gonna talk about what it means to be devoted to God's word, to the apostles' teaching. We're gonna talk about what it means to be devoted to fellowship. Did you know that that word fellowship, koinonia, is the exact same word in Romans 12, Romans 13, 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul talks about we're sending an offering for the poor, the saints in Jerusalem who are suffering in famine and persecution, he said, we're coming to collect your offering. It's the way it's translated, but the word is koinonia. Your fellowship has way more to do than sitting in a room and talking. It's digging in deep. That's where we're headed in these next few weeks. But we want to start with just a simple idea of what am I devoted to? What are you devoted to? And how do you know what you're devoted to? You'll know. Just look at what you're paying attention to. Ask yourself the honest question. What am I devoted to? This will not lie. Your calendar will not lie. Your checkbook will not lie. Start with the truth. And then, man, don't let shame push you down into that. Let the power of the Holy Spirit pull you out of that because as you're devoted to those four things, like, like I don't want to brag or nothing. I kind of do. Can we get a close-up of this? So I've been working out, and here's how I know. Can I tell you how I know? The, the heart started over here. True story. I, wouldn't you think science that the heart just gets, expands out and gets bigger and you have to color it in because it gets expanded out? Oh, I'm there. That's how Cutlass must have felt back in the day. Uh, you do it? But it's moving to the back of my arm. Like it's actually moving to my tricep. My wife's like, what's your goal with your arm? I'm like, let me tell you what my goal is right now. Can I make it take a lap? That's the goal. If I can land it... <laughs> I don't, know how, I don't know how big that is or how much protein that takes, but I am devoted to that. <laughs> devoted. What are we going to be devoted to? By the way, it's not bad to have travel soccer. It's not bad to go to the lake house. The question is, what am I devoted to? Because let me tell you what, the lake house will not fill your soul Travel soccer doesn't save your children's soul. And I'm just picking on those two. So if you think I'm looking at you, I'm not. I got my stuff. I'm just saying, let's look at our hearts and what we're devoted to. And the first thing I'm going to ask you to add to your list of what you're devoted to is prayer. We're not going to talk about it next week, but I'm asking you to pray because the one thing that I realized where I needed some help in being devoted to, if I can be vulnerable with you, is as we're trying to figure out how to pay for this, I've been asking experts. 
I've been asking other pastors that know what they're doing. I've been asking you. But I don't know that I've spent a lot of time asking God, what would you do if you, could you pay for this, God? Would you commit to me this week to pray and to fast that God just wipes the debt completely out of this? It's at like two point something million. It's basically the house of two Franklin houses right now. But the cost of two Franklin houses is the best I can tell. But, so it didn't feel nearly as bad as it felt three years ago, but I'm still ticked about it. So I'd like it to be gone. So just pray. I'm not asking you for a dime. I'm asking you to ask God this week, pray fast, one day, two days, seven days, I don't care. And we're going to come back next week and we're going to celebrate what it felt like to be as a church devoted to fasting and prayer this week. Does that make sense to you? Stand to your feet. Um, Before we go today, I want to celebrate what God has done. And I want to celebrate... what he's done here and what he's done around the world. I mean, Rhonda, what, how are you guys doing right now with the feeding stuff in Honduras? Okay, okay but that, you always say okay, but what do you need? <laughs> she never asks, like, I need to ask. Okay. They're working in a camp of displaced people, displaced from a hurricane. I was there three weeks ago. These people are homeless, and now they're seemingly homeless again. They've been feeding them. How much does it cost to feed once a week? Uh, it's about $500 to $1,000 a week. Oh, for once a week, it's $500. 500 a week feeds how many people? A thousand people are fed with $500. $500. $500. Twice a week. Twice a week. Okay. So as a church family this morning, I'm committing to you, we'll take care of this next month for that and just believe God that it's gonna keep coming. But we're gonna keep planting seeds and that kind of stuff and celebrate that we're not gonna let this building get in the way of what God's doing in these nations. So we're gonna celebrate that. If you don't know Rhonda, you'll need to meet Rhonda. She's amazing. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And today, Lord, we're devoted to you. We're devoted to your word. We're devoted to your people. We're devoted to your presence. We're devoted to fellowship, all those things, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to move on the hearts of our brothers and sisters here today as we, as one church, unified, asking and praying that you would miraculously move on our behalf. We've been debt-free for 11 years. I would like to be debt-free by next Sunday. We're not screwing around. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Would you guys give us one more song?